Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah. Megan, we took a couple weeks off from recording, or not a couple weeks, but I feel like we haven't done this in a while. Where have we been? I don't even know what's happening <laughs> right now. Well, we're here in your ears on a Sunday, which is always a fun little, I always feel like it's like a fun little surprise for me, just like everyone who's listening, because we only do these more than mom episodes a couple times a month, but it's just a way for us to kind of divert from our usual Tuesday content, which is more parenting driven, and just talk about stuff that's going on in our lives or things that we like to do, you know, just kind of fluffy more than mom kind of stuff. And I don't think it gets much more fluffy than hobbies, right? No, but hobbies are such, it's fluffy, but there's like, there's an importance or like a gravitas to hobbies, I think, especially the way we're going to talk about them today. I agree. And I really love the structure that you came up with for this episode, Sarah, which is like the hobbies that we are either doing right now or could very easily jump right back into right now. And then some that are like on the docket soonish, we either think we might want to be interested. We're either interested in these things or like we think we will be. And at some point with with some education or some money or something different in our lives, we could actually do those. And then there's the maybe someday. And that I think is so fun because it's really just dreaming. I mean, it could be anything. Um, But I, I like like structuring it like that because I feel like there are just certain things that aren't for this season of your life, but that doesn't mean you can't look forward and think that they would be later. Totally. Totally. And as we were preparing for this, I was thinking, wait, haven't we talked about our hobbies lately? And what I realized is we've talked lately about TV watching. We've talked about podcast listening and book reading. So I thought it's kind of interesting to even define what a hobby is. I think you and I are both creative people. So a lot of the hobbies we're going to talk about, although not all of them, but a lot of them would fall into like a creative realm. But like, I'm asking you this question legit, Megan, like what is the difference between say, Sarah loves to watch great TV at night, loves to listen to podcasts and like talk to her friends and eat good food with my family. But those don't feel like hobbies. So like what, how do we kind of 
define a hobby for the sake of this episode? Well, I kind of feel like there's an intentionality to a hobby. There's a creativeness to it. It's like um, you're producing something. Mm-hmm. I think consuming is a little bit less of a hobby. It, mm-hmm. it can be, I guess. Like maybe there, that's all some people do is consume and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But when I think about a hobby, I'm always thinking about like it learning and yeah. putting effort into um, mastering or at least dabbling in, in the creation of something. So that's how it feels different to me. I think, I think that's really good. And another thing I might add, and I think everybody's definition could be slightly different, but another thing I might add is a hobby is probably something you're setting aside time for and not multitasking throughout your day. So Mm, like for mm -hmm. me, listening to podcasts and even reading and um, cooking and uh, decorating my home. And I don't know, like putting on tons of mascara, like these are all (laughs) leisure activities that I enjoy, but they happen in the course of a regular day. And I'm not really like um, setting aside extra time for them. So, and you're probably not, you're probably not obsessing over the supplies or like, you know what I mean? Like there's something about really getting into a hobby where you're, you read like scouring the catalogs or the websites with the stuff and like reading about the best way to do it. I don't do that when it comes to like listening to podcasts or right. even putting on mascara, although you might. Um, but it's just a little, I think it's the passive versus active nature of it. Yeah, I think so. And yeah. um, what is a hobby for one person could be like just a, a pastime or a leisure activity for someone else and could be a job for someone else. So we are yeah. professional podcasters. We're professional content creators And I know we're going to dig into that a little later, but that makes it tricky if you say like, well, is writing a hobby is like, is Instagram part of my business or is photography a hobby? And then like that also is sort of like social media rabbit hole time. But I like photography. There's a lot of like places where I think it can get confusing, especially if you work in if you work in a field that you genuinely enjoy, it's almost it can get a little the lines can get blurry, I guess. That's really true. And actually, there's a couple different categories that we're going to talk about um, in a couple different categories. I had identified things that are that I see as potential hobbies, but that could be also a business. And mm-hmm. for me, business itself is a hobby. I really enjoy right. the creative um, pursuits and aspects of building a business. And it's really difficult sometimes for me to separate those, especially if it's a creative business. So they're like, I don't ever see myself truly retiring. So when we get into like the stuff we'll be doing later in life, like I don't see myself ever not wanting to have some source of income, not really for the money, but because for me, building a business is really fun and feels like a hobby. And so it's going to get real hard for me to always differentiate between the two things. Um, And I know that's especially because also you talk, you're talking about something later that is kind of like a thing we do for the business as am I, those are both on our list. And like, Yet they can both be things that we enjoy doing independent of one specific business. And maybe that's, yeah. Yeah. Another thing I realized recently, I was just thinking about this the other day when I legitimately was walking like through the forest and I said, gee whiz. Okay. I didn't say gee whiz, but I said something like, I really wish I knew the names of all the flowers. And I think (laughs) I could really get into that. And then I realized how I am becoming, and I'm only 43, but I'm becoming slowly a very basic retirement age lady. And (laughs) it kind of reminded me of the episode we did a few weeks ago, Sarah, where you said something about how women in their forties are always getting into like dogs running yoga or kitchens. Uh 
And then I thought there's a reason why those stereotypes exist. Right. Yeah. And there's a reason why grandma's garden and there's a reason why grandma's knit. There's just reasons why certain stages of your life, which isn't to say younger women don't knit or get into running and dogs and kitchens and yoga or like don't, you know, they people could do this at all different ages, but it's not like in my twenties, I thought I really want to golf. Right. And the older I get, the more I think, gosh, I'd be like, I'd like to be really good at golf. I, <laughs> it just makes sense. It lines up with like, there's a reason things, basic things are basic. And there's I a agree. reason why times of your life lend themselves to certain things. I totally agree. And I also am way more into trees and flowers and <laughs> bird yes. species. And yeah, so well, and we when are. your kids were young, did you have any mental space for birds? Nope. Like the nope. names of birds or house or like plants? the name or house plants? <laughs> like, no, like your babies would eat them and you didn't, you know, you had to change their diapers. You weren't going to water plants or whatever it is. Right. So yep. I, there's always, there's always people who love something so very much. They do it their whole lives. And I've had things that have been a part of my life, even in my twenties that other people would not have tried to make part of their life when they had young children. Right. Um, but now I feel like there's this whole category or even like multiple categories of things opening up to me that really weren't, I didn't care enough in my twenties or thirties to do them. So I will be a very stereotypical 50 year old woman. I'm sure very soon. I want to see your, um, like gardening pants, like some wide legged flowy <laughs> pants and a hat oh to go along with this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready-to-eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as forever chemicals. 
In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Okay, Sarah, so using this three-part structure, we're first going to talk about the hobbies that we're doing right now or like have in the recent future and could jump right back in if we wanted to. And so I'm going to start with the one that I'm feeling the most convicted to start back up and that's embroidery. And you know, like right around the holidays, I was, I was stitching every single day and I spent like the two days leading up to Christmas, basically stitching gifts all day long. Like that's all I did. And I really enjoyed it. It's such a mental break from life. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just kind of one day put my needle down. I think that's a line from Little Women where Beth puts her needle down for the last time. Uh, I just read that. I was like starting to chuckle. Then I'm like, wait, no, you're like thinking about Beth. This is going. I'm pretty sure there's a cut. There's a line in that book where she puts down her her stitching for the very last time. But anyway, um, won't be that for me because I I left a project undone. It's like half done. And I already told my sister I'm giving it to her. So I really got to get it done. But it's a very involved project. And like, I was so over it by December 26th that I was just like, never mind, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. But now I really, really, like, really want to pick it back up. And it might mean that I have to lay that one aside for a little while. Yeah. And just pick something easy and quick up. I noticed about you, like from afar, first of all, one thing that would be really satisfying is I bet you improved a ton because of the intensity of yes. your, uh, of your, like, the intensity of, how you jumped in and did it a lot for a short amount of time. I bet you saw a lot of improvement. Would you say that's true? I I absolutely did. And the other thing that I thought was really satisfying and where I really started to enjoy myself was that I started coming up with my own designs and I'm not a designer by any means, but I would come up with funny little quotes and just like go in Canva Mm -hmm. and like, just, you know, put the quote in some font that I liked and then find a little image and do that. And that's the stuff I gave away for Christmas. So those were quick and dirty. It's like, I could get one done in an hour yeah. And people loved them because they were funny because they were like yes. very targeted. Um, yes. And so I'm going to throw out. So I just did a, a Mother of Reinvention episode with Nancy Davis Co. Yes. I and loved it. you should check that one out. But there was a part where she just kept saying, it's a whole thing, Megan. And then we were, and I said something, she's an embroiderer too. And she said something about stitching that on a shirt. And I really want to stitch now her a towel that says it's a whole thing, Megan, and send I it to her. It. And just like, well, or maybe I just leave my name off because that would be a little weird. But anyway, I just, now that that's in my mind, I'm like, I have to do that. So for me, for something like that, I need to have a, like a burning reason to do it, like a Mm -hmm. deadline or like a project I really want to do. And if it's just, I'm going to pick up a towel and, you know, stitch on it, it, that's not quite compelling enough. So yes, you're right. The mastering a stitch or getting better or designing something myself, all those things help propel me forward. Whereas just embroidering, I don't have to embroider. None of us really do anymore. Like there's machines for that. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Did you, um, did your neck and hands get, uh, I mean, speaking of old lady stuff, we like to complain about our aches and pains. Was, was there any physical toll on your body as I like, well, Sarah, (laughs) let me tell you. Or your eyes. Um, So I will say I did get eye strain when I was stitching a lot in the dark. Um, because I was doing, well, I was doing it a lot with my special man friend while he'd be watching a movie with like the lights down and I would get 
to the point I could just call him by name now, Eric, I would get to the point where I'm like, I, I have to either turn on a light or like leave the room because I, I don't want to watch your John Wayne movie with you, but I also like really can't see what I'm doing. Um, and I keep poking myself in the finger. And so, yes, it was almost like a nausea that goes with that kind mm-hmm. of eye strain oh, interesting. where you're like, you're like moving your eyeballs harder than you should be or something. I don't, I don't like that feeling. Um, I will say like, for whatever reason, it did not give me a particular like kink in my neck or anything. And the one hobby I did have for a while and abandoned, and this is when I was a young woman, by the way, like in my early twenties was scrapbooking because bending over paper and cutting gave me terrible back pain, like between the shoulder blades. Interesting. Um, And I could never figure out how to not have that. It, it, I couldn't tell if it was just the cutting or like the bending over and gluing or what it was. Embroidery, I think, because I can move around pretty easily and I can sit with my back more straight or I can almost lean Mm -hmm. back or it just didn't really affect me that way. So I love it. Yeah. What about you? What about you and your pains? I mean, sorry, your hobbies. Okay. Well, this first (laughs) hobby is uh, not taxing at all to my physical body. And it's something I'm actively doing right now. And it takes not a long time, but I true it truly brings me joy. And that is floral arranging and flower arranging. I realize that I've actually always loved this. Um, if you ever get like a grocery store bouquet, there's nothing wrong with them. They look fine, but I'm always the person that takes apart whatever has been put together <laughs> at the grocery store yeah. and like does it differently. I'm like, well, I don't want this baby's breath here, or I want all the same colors together. It it um like strikes a lot of things that I love, which is design and color, but with a very limited I get overwhelmed if I have too many choices. So when you're doing a little bouquet, you can't really mess it up. Flowers are pretty, period. And you can stick all kinds of green things or floral things in a little jar and it looks pretty. And so for me, that's really fun. Um, We have a big yard now and our roses are in bloom this spring. But it's and roses, of course, are beautiful. And I have done some really beautiful bouquets of roses. But I don't think you need to have a rose garden like you can pick even just little bits of green. You can do um, like things that aren't currently living, like little twigs in a a little vase. And it looks kind of artistic. So I think this is something I've always loved and I'm just I'm labeling it a hobby now because I love it so much and I'm doing it more and more that it feels like I probably love it more than the average person and therefore I'm claiming it as a hobby. So there you I go. I love that. And you I've seen some of your work and it's beautiful. Um and yeah. it is something where like I will sometimes get a bouquet from the grocery store and think, man, if these stems were just shorter or like if this green but I'm not gonna take it apart. Like that's I'm just not yeah. gonna do that. You know, it's not for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's great though. That's, I think also like people do get paid for that. So there is like some, there's artistry there. Um, Um, I will say that the smaller the bouquet, the cuter it looks and there's a lot more forgiving. So, you know, we think of big bouquet, big centerpieces. Like if you're at like a fancy gala or a wedding or something, And, um, that's, I think those are sometimes harder to make look good. And obviously they take large flowers too. So if you're, if you like floral design and you're thinking, and it's like, you're struggling, think tiny because a little bud vase or a little Mason jar, and then a few things from the yard can look so pretty. And one of them starts to wilt. You just pull that one out and you see how the rest of it looks like it's a constantly, I'm constantly just playing. It feels very much like creative play to me, which I think is a good sign for a hobby. I love that. Right. Well, it's your next one. So this is in the category of things we could do for work, but they also feel like a hobby sometimes. And mine would be writing for pleasure. And this is really hard, very difficult to separate um, because for so long, writing was my job. Yeah. And now I would say writing is 
one aspect of something I do for some part of my career, but it's definitely not the main thrust of my career, which in some ways makes it a little easier because while I want to, you know, it's nice to get paid for my work and I usually do. Um, that's not the reason I'm doing it. And that right. does definitely open up opportunities to write about things I wouldn't otherwise bother writing about or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then it also makes it hard to, to discipline myself for the practice of it. And the more you write, the better, the better and more natural of a writer you are. So like yeah. the less I do it because I don't have to, the harder it is to get back into it when I want to. And that is kind of a difficult place to be. And, um, you know, our friend Christine Co. um, is, has from the edit your life podcast. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about her and on the show and she's been on the show and she's been really getting published a lot yeah. lately and like a lot, a lot. And I've, you know, watched that and there's that, that little bit of like super friendly jealousy. It's not. Yes. And I don't have in any way, like any negative feelings. Christine's amazing. Oh no! But I look I at that and go like, oh man, but I could be doing that. I used I to do that. And, but at the same time, I'm like, but am I going to, I don't know. And so there's just that, like, it's that definite like a tension point where I want to write more because I, at my very deep core, am a writer. But right now I'm doing so much other creative content, you know, um, mm -hmm. production. It doesn't leave a lot of time for that. So it's like, I want, I almost need to put some structure around it. Mm -hmm. For a while I was blogging about once a week and that felt really good. And then I kind of got, I don't know, I just got sidetracked with other stuff. And I think that was a good pace and I should just make myself do that mm -hmm. again. And yeah. And if it's just on my own blog, it's, it's really a hobby more than anything else. It's, you know, it might lead to professional opportunities, but that's not the point. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm just smiling and nodding. Cause I relate to so much of what you said, right down to the most loving pings of jealousy about how much Christine Co gets done in a day. Yes. And no, she has had <laughs> some incredible work published in great publications lately, but I've had like those identical thoughts. So I'm just smiling. Um, well, my next one is photography and that's been a hobby for a while and kind of similar to writing. It ebbs and flows in that. Um, I find I'm not doing it very much right now just for fun. The last time I did it just for fun was on my birthday. I, I didn't ask for much on my birthday, but I asked that we go on a family walk kind of at that golden hour, um, time of day. And I got out my DSLR camera and, you know, the kids are older now. They don't always want to be photographed. So it was sort of like asking them to be OK with me taking some candid shots and playing with my camera was kind of like my birthday present. Like I felt like I could be like, hey, guys, like, you know, put on a clean shirt. Let's go for a walk and don't yell at me when I take your photograph. And that is <laughs> that is the gift you're giving me. Um, and actually, I really felt good about that on my birthday. I was like, I'm really glad that I asked for that because um I do so much photography and photo styling and Instagramming for work and for like, again, we get into these very blurry lines that I can feel like, yeah, I do a lot of photography, but I'm not really enjoying it in that hobby kind of way. So I think just exactly like you said, with writing, it can take some intentionality or some structure, but it will always be, it'll always be a hobby for me. I'm not good enough to ever call myself a professional, but I think I'm, I have moments where I'm pretty good as an amateur and that's a good place to be. I, I love to have yeah. a moment where I'm like, that is an awesome picture, Sarah. Like, good job. Like it feels very accomplished. And I, I like that. So is there any part of you, and I don't know, like on an Enneagram, um, scale or whatever, is there any, I guess this would be more of a three thing, but is there any part of you that really has a hard time allowing something to be just for pleasure and knowing that you'll never be at that level or you could be maybe, but you probably just won't do the things that you'd need to do to get to that level. And is it like hobby dependent for you? 
I think um, it's less. I think that probably is more of an Enneagram three thing. It depends on the thing. But as a one, I can be very satisfied with an internal knowledge that I nailed something. If that, I know that sounds right. like very like ego driven, but a lot of times, like if I think something, if I think I did a really good job at something or if a small circle of people or someone I care about has complimented my work, I can be, I can be totally fine without any kind of financial or status recognition. And I think if you're an Enneagram person and you've ever compared ones and threes, I think that's a, that's a marked difference between ones and threes. We present sometimes similarly Um, but threes often are more energized by, and not that they are like seeking them out in a gross way, but they're more energized by status and accolades and more Mm. public recognition or money or fame or fill in the blank, whatever that looks like. Um, and ones are more energized by just having done something really, really well or by being correct. (laughs) So yeah. Well, what about, okay. So what about a personal best? Like, even if you know that objectively, it's like compared to most people, it's whatever, but like, it's your, is, is your personal best a motivator or is it really like, you just really want to get it right. Like you want to do a good job, no, a really good my, job, not just a good job for you. You know I what think I mean? A personal best in a lot of ways, a personal best is a motivator with these creative hobbies. Like it's really yeah. fun for me to do better than the last time. And photography especially is very much like that. Like I look back at older photographs and I've just improved a lot. And that improvement in and of itself is very rewarding to me. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I think for me, um, as an Enneagram too, and I don't even have, I don't know if this actually relates at all to Enneagram or just my expectations of myself in certain areas, but I will always be harder on myself about like writing, Mm -hmm. um, and some aspects of performing than I would be about something like I don't know, running where I don't care Mm -hmm. if I'm slow or like decorating my house where I don't care if it's kind of half done. You know what I mean? Like those, those things might even be really fun. I might be able to find things that are pleasurable about those things, but I don't like the performance or achievement. It's so low on the list of reasons I'm doing it that I don't care. And I don't really know why I think sometimes I'm doing it for me and sometimes I'm doing it for other people. And if it feels like a caretaking kind of thing, like I can allow myself to let go of the finished product mm-hmm. in favor of the fact that I did the service. Mm-hmm. Whereas if the finished product is the service, then it's more important. Yeah. I don't know if that I, makes no, sense. No, it totally like it, makes sense. Yeah. And you asked me if mine was hobby dependent and it totally is. I am harder on myself or more self-critical about certain creative areas than others. Just like, just exactly like you said. Um, and I think for me and my oneness, it's the relative expectations. Like if I'm supposed to be a darn good writer, I can put a lot of pressure on myself. Right. If I've, if I've never, if I'm a self-taught photographer or floral stylist, I just think, wow, that's like a lot better than last time. Good job, Sarah. So it's not, it's not all created equal for me either. Yeah. Well, this one I'm going to mention mostly because I'm trying to give myself a kick in the rear. So last year at this time we were full on early pandemic staying at home. Like I, I believe this was the height of when I wasn't going anywhere. Like this felt like, Mm -hmm. you know, really like intense. And this is when I was making pancakes and starting seeds. That was like my whole life was like (laughs) making pancakes like around, you know, 11 AM and then babying my seedlings for like the rest of the day, basically. So Mm -hmm. I had like a little greenhouse and I was starting seeds and I had a spreadsheet and a little thing on the wall of my laundry room where I was keeping track. So the results were that my garden did extremely well 
with anything that was like um, in a container. Mm -hmm. um, my herbs did well and my lettuces and greens did really well. And everything that required like real roots did terribly. <laughs> so my squash never came up. The squirrels ate my bean plants. My tomatoes all got eaten by squirrels. Um, my carrots just, they had like a, like a two inch little sad carrot and they shriveled up and were terrible. So I don't know exactly what happened. I have a bad feeling that I don't have the patience sometimes for some stuff that takes longer. And I think I was messing with the carrots too much. And then I think I just didn't protect the beans enough. Anyway, this is all. It's There's so many there. good writing metaphors, though, in there. I, As I'm oh listening my gosh. to you talk, Listen, I'm like, okay, we can like, combine <laughs> this with the desire to write. I know. It's me and it's like just me in a nutshell. But anything I could go out and cut every day or every other day and eat it, like my arugula and my lettuce greens and my herbs, I was just out there every day cutting them off and eating them. And it was the best because they'd grow right back. My Swiss chard was amazing. I had Swiss chard like half the summer. So anyway, I'm bringing gardening back. But I'm not going to pressure myself. Like, I know I'm not actually feeding my family. There was this feeling a year ago, like, of wanting to know if you could survive the apocalypse sure. if you had yeah. to. And I learned that if I only ate greens um, and, like, got cow, like, half a cow from a local farmer, then yes, I can. Um, but, like, I'm probably not going to feed my entire family with, like, bush beans. And like, it just, right. I'm not going to do that. So right now, because I don't have to. It was good to try the skill. It was good to learn. I learned a lot. Good enough, right? But I don't right. want to get so meh about it now that I don't even bother doing the stuff that I actually found really pleasurable, which was growing my Swiss chard and growing my lettuce greens and all that stuff. So I'm like just mentally putting like a pin in the fact that this is the time of year to start thinking about that stuff. Even if it's not a full scale production like mm -hmm. last year, I don't want to lose that entirely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so. I like it. And we're at a good time of year for you to um, make that declaration. Yes, exactly. It's just more for me than for you. I'm sorry to say, yeah. but no, that's okay. <laughs> for, well, yeah, <laughs> actually my next one is also, and, and this whole category is like things we are currently doing or could pick up tomorrow without, we wouldn't have to learn anything, buy anything, right. do anything. And so my next one is also when I'm not doing a terribly big amount of, but could and would like to. And that is thrifting, antiquing, and I would even add um, like estate sale, garage selling, which is a big oh thing gosh. here where I live. Um, estate sales. I didn't are... even know you were into estate sales. Well, I I am only adjacent. So here's what I'm into. I okay. have my whole life loved thrift stores, and I I've been a thrift store shopper since I was a young teenager. I mean, seventh eighth grade. As soon as I was being dropped off downtown, it was in the height of those like very early 90, early, early 90s um, grunge. Like everyone's looking for a Levi 501 Levi's like that are perfectly distressed from the thrift store and flannels and, you know, looking like you like got dressed out of your grandpa's closet or whatever. And so I came right. of age in that time and we have great thrift shopping here in Santa Barbara. And I always identified as a thrift store shopper, did not get as into antiquing, but I liked the idea of just walking an antique mall and looking at things. And I didn't do it as much. So I come by it. I feel like my whole life I've loved that. Got away from it when I had young kids, except for like the consignment stores where I'd get secondhand kids clothes, which I still loved, but it didn't feel quite the same. Um, moving back here to Santa Barbara, um, there's just a, a really great kind of thrift and antique and secondhand scene here. And then estate sales are a, are a big thing here. And I've only been to one since we've been back. And COVID has obviously 
complicated thing. So the one I took Allegra to was quite COVID complicated, like lines to get in and like the mat because you're going into a home and um, I don't even know how they regulate those. Like what, what category of COVID restrictions that would even fall under? Because it's like in, it was in this big old house. Anyway, I, I love it all. I would like to get back into it. And I don't know what that looks like in terms of structure, except when I find myself with like a free afternoon and now things are opening up here more, I just want to have it top of mind. So it's like, oh, let me go walk through the local antique store or let me like I I need to get on some kind of like a list or a social media account that tells me when the estate sales are and stuff, because I know I'd love it. So this is like a it's a it's simmering at the surface. And I feel like I could get really into it at any point once I'm in a thrifted secondhand element. I am in my element. Like I love the finding treasures. I love looking at the prices and like, I love it. I just, right now I don't have a lot of structure about doing it. You're better. You're better about like taking a whole day and going antiquing. I'm not really good at that yet. Well, and part of that is for me that there's two different there's, and the next one I was just going to kind of piggyback on yours in that I've, I have started dipping my toes back into antiquing and I used to do it quite a lot as like a pastime slash hobby. And I do think there's a slight difference. Like for me, when Jenna and I used to go a lot, like that used to be one of the things we would do if we could both get away from the kids, um, for an afternoon, we'd go, we'd like kind of bebop around the shoreline up here and go to several different places. And I would really go in thinking my criteria was I will buy something if it's on the list of like a pattern I'm looking for, or a, Mm. a thing I need, like a very functional, useful piece, or if I just love it. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that's always been hard for me about thrifting as opposed to antiquing is that um, if I'm in a place that's not curated, so the joy isn't in looking at, you know, like browsing the beautiful displays, yeah. but the joy is in the hunt, I have to be in a very specific mood and I have to feel really prepared. If I don't feel prepared going in, it's no fun for me because I get really overwhelmed. So like I've tried, like I back in my 20s, this was actually... I the thrifting you're talking about finding those perfect, you know, vintage jeans that are perfectly distressed or whatever the thing was that people were in. And people made a business out of that. You could go and um, look for certain brands and get them at Goodwill. And Uh I do think that's become a little harder to do that because like more people know about it now, but it's still, it's still available to you. You can still do Mm -hmm. it. And I would find that unless I had a lot of knowledge, I would get really stressed because I'd be like, what if I make a mistake? What if I buy the wrong thing? What if it's not the right year? And I mean, we're talking about $2 purchases. It's not, but then I'd have to get home and do something with it. And then what if it was the wrong thing? And I had clutter. It was just, it became more than I could handle. So for me, the way I antique is it's truly just about looking at antiques. Mm -hmm. And I also like, and I like estate sales if they're the right estate sale for that reason too, because often you go into people's homes, they look like museums, like if they're mm-hmm. old people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to just look and every now and then I'll think, man, this bowl would look great on my shelf. I'm buying this bowl or this piece, whatever it is would sit, like fit a really specific purpose, um, purpose. But if I don't have that, it's not fun for me. So I think those are just two different, like yeah. the strategy is not there for me, Yeah, you know? Well, and yeah. I think you've, probably had more practice and thought about this even more than I have. All I have is a knowledge that I love. I love it all actually. And I don't have to, I don't feel like I do have to go in with a specific need, but I antique places can overwhelm me because I don't, I really prefer the ultimate score. Like I want the thing that costs $3, but is like 
I love, you know, and so antiquing can be overwhelming because sometimes you have to have a lot of information. Right. And they're quite expensive. Right. Right. So Brian got me a vintage typewriter that I didn't buy myself because I think it was like a hundred was like a hundred dollars because it's a it's a vintage typewriter that I'm never going to use. It's supposedly functional, but I'm not going to use it. And so my mind, I'm like, nope, I don't I don't buy those types of antiques. So I think I'm a little green. I'm a little new at it, but I know that I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, it's like if you um, if you went into a thrift store and you saw that same typewriter for 10 bucks, mm-hmm. you, so much of the pleasure would be in the $90 <laughs> win. Yeah, you know what I mean? Totally. And there's less pleasure in it for you if you spend if you pay market value for it. Whereas for me, I just want the thing. Like, yes. I don't yeah. necessarily need the score. The score is great if it happens. It, but that also requires a lot of information gathering that I don't necessarily want to do. I kind of want to be like vaguely, um, I want to be vaguely knowledgeable about what I'm buying, but I don't mind paying full price if it's the right thing that somebody else did the, the groundwork on. Sure. Totally. So, yeah. But I think that I could see you getting really into the nerdery around that. I could too. Maybe that will, maybe that will be like a little further down the line yeah. for you though. Okay, Sarah, I think you have one more in this category, right? I do. And and I'll be quick here. This is another one that so overlaps with what we do for work. But I have found um, I really enjoy digital creativity of all kinds. And I would include um, video editing, things like making a photo slideshow, things like um, or a video compilation. I, I really love graphic design. And that's a little different. That's more visual. So this is not currently a hobby because I do so much of it for work, but it's something that I find if I, if I completely remove the work side, I get really excited about it. Allegra had a project that required her to make a little music video, um, or it was actually for her school's like virtual song fest concert. And, um, she's really good at iMovie. And I was like, do you need any help? I, I, I could like get in there. And I, I remember when we made the video of the Isaac story, the viral meme of yeah, you, yep. that was probably one of the most in-depth like video um, editing jobs I've ever done where it included yeah, like you did a great talking. Job with that. And I, I worked on that for like two days without looking up. And it was that, you know how they talk about the flow when you're doing something big, and yes, you're challenged yep. and you like time passes and you don't even know it. That's how I felt when I did that project. So I'm just keeping this like almost in the periphery to know that like the technology is only getting better and easier. Like regular lay people, um, can do quite a bit with video production, video editing, like photo, all of it. Um, so, so I do enough of it in my job, but I'm just saying out loud that I truly enjoy it and, and almost get into that like creative state with it. So love it. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest. I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know, what's good to go. My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather, but please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown Loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. 
Bionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, so we're going to talk about future hobbies and we have kind of like two ways to break this out. The soonish future hobbies are things where like our stage of life would not have to change, meaning like you could still have kids at home. You don't have to move or like, do anything crazy, win the lottery, but they would require an investment of time or learning or some kind of change from your current situation. And then later on, we're going to like really fantasize about like, literally you could wave a magic wand and get into this hobby. And even if that meant that you'd have to be living in France, making cheese or something. Right. Ooh, I like that idea. Do you want to kick us off? Yeah. So, um, one of the things that, you know, that I've been into for years when I had that pop-up camper that I broke and then got rid of because it was a terrible idea, but it was actually a great idea. It just wasn't yeah. the right thing for me. Anyway, I got really into the idea of renovating a vintage camper. Mm-hmm. And I just realized like I, at the time, first of all, that was not the correct camper for me to do that. I don't think, I think I would choose a permanently popped up with no mechanicals situation because uh-huh. I don't have the skills to fix something that breaks and the particular break I did with my camp, my pop-up was pretty common. And anyway, um, so it would have to be like, a, you know, an old hard sided, like aluminum camper or something. But Eric and I have been like, kind of like sharing a lot of Instagram accounts about people who renovate old school buses uh-huh. and they look amazing. Like <laughs> you can do so much and then you can just live in it. Like you can uh-huh. just drive around and live in an old school bus and they're cheap. And like people make them incredible inside. So I would say that is one of those things. I am not doing that this year. Right. But like I could do it in the next five years. Like Mm -hmm. it's not outside of the realm of possibility to have some kind of home on wheels to glide me into my 50s. I love that so much. And then I can just come visit you and park out on your um, front lawn like Eddie in Christmas Cousin vacation. Eddie? Yeah. Cousin Eddie. Yeah. I am proud to say I have no homeowner association requirements, but yes. every other neighborhood I've ever lived in, 
that makes that very complicated and no one cares where I live. I mean, I'm sure people might care, but like that no one could say you can't park your school bus in my driveway or can I, can I empty the crapper into your sewer? (laughs) That's what I want to (laughs) know. a problem as Nancy Davis Co said I'm borrowing that forever that sounds like a problem for future Megan and Sarah yes future we'll Megan and Sarah we will work it out I I just believe that we will figure this out so I really do that is one of those things that I've always kind of had this idea that at some point I will have some kind of nomadic lifestyle even if it's just for a few years or even if it's just in the summer or whatever and I I see I feel that coming like I feel it impending which I'm excited I love about it I love it so much um, well, my first one for the soonish future is getting into local history. And I mean, getting into it, like almost going to the public library and following my own interests down rabbit holes, like not really taking a class or anything, but actually becoming knowledgeable about where I live. And and this is obviously brought about by the fact that I moved to my hometown. I live only maybe a mile and a half from the house that I spent the most time in growing up. I actually live like a block away from one house that I lived in for a couple of years. Um, and there's some interesting things about where I live. There's like some agricultural history. There's there's all kinds of things. There's, you know, people who've had big estates and that like were, you know, the architecture is famous or significant. There's all kinds of different uh, rabbit holes to go down. Um, but I have never found myself interested in this until moving home. And I don't even know what that would look like, but I'm picturing like, you know how somebody always publishes a local book that's like written by a local author and it's only available in local bookstores and it's not designed very well. And it's just kind of like, do you know what I mean? I'm literally, I can literally reach my hand out right now and grab the one for my local town. It's like within arm's distance. And it's it's, old grainy photos. I can picture what the cover even looks like because it wasn't designed. It's sapia tone. (laughs) It's available in your local museum gift shop, like those types of books. So maybe I would just spend six months like kind of reading those, you know, kind of poorly written probably, but, but authentic and probably well-researched accounts of, you know, who were the landowners in this? Like, where did all these avocado farms, what happened to these avocado (laughs) farms that I live in the middle of, you know, like I, I'm just interested. So I don't know what that will look like, but I see it being kind of a nerdy academic um, hobby. And I don't know that anything would ever come of it, except I'd be really knowledgeable about my hyper local. And I don't even mean Santa Barbara County. I mean, like the land I live on and the surrounding miles around it. So, so I just texted you proof, by the way, um, that you can look at if you have your phone on you, but I also have a fascination with local history. And for me, it has kind of changed depending, um, it has broadened and narrowed depending on times of my life. Like there's been times I've lived in homes where I have really nerded out on like researching the history of that home. And that's very easy to do. Like if you have a, a newspapers.com account, mm-hmm. you can just search your address and you'll find all the news clippings oh, that has cool. anything to do with your address. And I mean, I don't, what, you know, what your address was before your current home was built on it. I don't know if the address number would, you know, would go with that or whatever, but like yeah. it might, or you could look up neighbors addresses. Um, so I got really into that for a while. Cause I've lived in a lot of old houses. But also, like, just in general, like, the history of my county and my town. And I just mm-hmm. find that really fascinating. And I used to be really into genealogy. And then I just kind of found it to be, it was very time-consuming and very mm-hmm. overwhelming and started to kind of lose track of it. Um, my sister, in her 50s, I want to say she was 50 when she, no, 51 or so, when she started doing this, became a docent at the Michigan 
history museum. Yeah. So like that's her like, yeah. Yeah. So like, that's like, that's the thing she loves more than anything is like local history. And she has a real job and um, not that being a docent isn't a real job, except they don't pay her. So (laughs) I guess it is like a hobby job, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But she would do that all day long if she could. And she gets really into it. So again, it's that whole, like, there's a reason these things become the things people do (laughs) at certain stages of life. It just makes sense. Like you just have the time and like the interest in it. And you start to also realize how important history is. Yeah. And I don't, mm-hmm. you know, the older you get, I mean, it's such a cliche, but the older we get, the more obvious that becomes. Yeah. So I love that. And I can't wait to see what you find. Okay. It, it will be sepia toned images though, for sure. <laughs> did you get the, did you get the picture <laughs> yes. I said? Yeah, yes, totally. It's sepia toned. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <sighs> okay. So theater. Now here's the thing about theater. I've done theater for two decades, so it's not, I don't need new skills. Um, but I don't see myself getting back into that anytime soon. And on the outline, I put theater maybe with a question mark. And this is a really weird place for me to be because I always kind of assumed that, you know, I was like one of the younger moms who was still actively doing theater. A lot of times kind of the stereotype is women do it in their twenties. Then they have kids Mm -hmm. and they totally fall off the face of the earth for like 10 years. And then they come back later in life um, for community theater. And Mm -hmm. I was really going gung ho in my thirties when I had, you know, a house full of kids. And now I'm just like, I don't know if, I don't know that I could find myself getting back into it like that again. I just, every time, even pre COVID the last few times I almost auditioned for something, I talked myself out of it and I Hmm. just didn't, I did a few performances, um, that were just concerts where I'd go in like, you have two rehearsals and then you Hmm. have one performance or two performances and then you're done. And I found that that fit into my life just a lot better. And I think that I was starting to kind of, I don't know, there's like, um, there's a certain camaraderie with theater people where you're kind of in it and like everyone wants to be there all the time. And like those people become your best friends. And like, that's like the life, you know, during the show and there's like showmances and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot more tolerance for that in my twenties and yeah. in my thirties, I just wanted to get the job done and go home. And that's not really in the spirit of community theater, to be honest, like people want to hang out and I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when I was doing shows with young people, like I did a lot of shows where I was like the mom and there would be a bunch of people in their twenties or late teens. And I was just like, can we just get this over with? Mm-hmm. I just want to go home. Like, yeah. and I started to feel really crotchety. Um, So I know that won't always be the case. And definitely there have been shows I've done where that like Chicago was not like that, but that was the really the last big one I did. And I just haven't had the heart to do it again. And I don't know that I will. It's just like this weird, will I, won't I, I feel so strange saying I'm going to walk away from theater, but I also just don't, you know, right now care. So that's not really, it doesn't really fit, but it kind of does. Well, and it's worth discussing because it's such a huge part of your creative life. But maybe and COVID has obviously put such a huge pause on that kind of thing. Yeah. So maybe when it does reemerge for you, it will just look super different. Like you've directed before or like a one woman show or like something. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like completely different than the community theater, because I hear what you're saying. It's almost like the culture around community theater is at odds with the actual joy that you get from performing. Like the two don't, right. They, they don't, don't necessarily match up. line up. Right. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think that the time feels just more precious to me right now. And, um, and, and again, I'm also out of practice. 
So, yeah. you know, who knows? And, and I think I felt that way in my 20s for a while. When I stopped doing it and didn't do it for like 10 years, I was I didn't really miss it during that time. Mm-hmm. So I have to remind myself that there are parts I will I have I have way out aged and I would never play anyway. Those have already passed. And mm-hmm. there's still different things. There's still different opportunities. And if I decide to get back into it, I will. And it doesn't have to be now. But I've yeah. it's been on my mind because I'm just like, I don't know. Do I want to even when right. it's a thing again? Do I want to do it? I don't know. Right. Right. Interesting. Um, well, here's one that I also feel kind of, uh, questioning about, and that is sewing. I do think, so I do like to sew and I rarely get out the machine. The last time I did, we were making masks, face masks, because as everyone will recall, right. There was a shortage. They didn't exist on every shelf everywhere. We weren't supposed to take them away from the people who needed the surgical ones. It was all very confusing. Um, it really, really was, but I have a basic knowledge and proficiency in both machine sewing and hand sewing. And I can follow a pattern. I made my baby's beddings when I was doing their nursery. I'm not talented. I am not, I don't make garments, um, but I can follow some basic patterns and I really enjoy it. My problem is, and I think where this will either become a hobby or it won't is I don't know what to make that has a functional output. Like every, every sewing project I ever see, I'm like, that's ugly. I would never use that. And so there's a difference. There's a, there's a gap between the enjoyment of sewing. I love fabric. I love picking out fabric. Again, it goes almost to the floral design, like combining colors. And like, when you look at a quilt or someone's like the way someone has combined different fabrics, I love all that, but I don't know what I need. Like what do modern hip, like, not granny seamstresses. What do they make? I don't know. Yeah. I, I I don't, I don't know either. (laughs) Like they probably make, um, I don't know. Aprons, aprons, cute bags, cute bags. Um, Yeah. Kids clothes. Maybe don't you have like a really good friend? Yeah. My friend Nikki is a real seamstress. Um, and she's like, but she's like in the fashion industry. So she makes like high fashion garments in Philadelphia. Um, well, and then what made, are the, what are the, what are the, um, Instagrammers make? I don't know. I'll have to look, I will report back. <laughs> I need okay. all of like the hip. Yeah. I guess like handicrafts for the home. I'm not sure because I, I really love to sew, but I don't know what I would sew. So this is like so really, this, yes. it's a reach here. This is a stretch. <laughs> well, no. And I, okay. So I have to say like, I got a sewing machine when I was in my early twenties and also thought I want to sew. And then I was like, but what am I going to sew? Like, am I going to sew like sleep like a cap to sleep in like I'm back in like the 19 aughts or like I don't like I could never find an application for it yet I know there are people who sew all the time and sew really cute stuff and they're like cute yeah you know stylish young mom so um I'm sure it's probably because they have skills yeah and good patterns yep exactly and I've never that's matched probably the thing those two things up Um, but I can, I could see myself if I found a thing that I like to make, just like you with your embroidery and your towels, if I knew how to make the thing, actually the masks were very satisfying for me because I had a pattern. It was challenging enough that I wrestled with it in the beginning and then I conquered it. And then I was able to churn them out and I was able to pick cute patterns. And so it was almost like that. I need to become the hobbyist who sews a particular type of thing. And I'm guessing that it's not like scrunchies and ballet skirts like I sewed when I was 12. So like, yes, there's there's an evolution there that hasn't revealed itself, just like with you in theater. It's just has not revealed itself. You're right. And I I do have a feeling that like some low hanging fruit would be like bags. Yeah. (laughs) Bags and and like um, like linens. 
uh-huh. of some sort, you know? Yeah. So just, and that was kind of the low hanging fruit with embroidery too. I just started yeah. with, with towels, tea towels. Yeah. So I love it. yeah. Um, okay. So my next one would be that I, I've always wanted to get into herbal medicine. And this has been a thing I've wanted to do since I was like in my twenties. And just again, like, when was I going to, you know, meander through a forest with my five children plucking comfrey and then drying it. I mean, I know people do that, but the gathering of it, the foraging, um, the growing, the drying, the making of the tinctures, like I'm an old witchy woman. Mm -hmm. I love it. Those are all things I would like to do sooner rather than later, but not now, Uh but like soon. And I want to like really learn, like I have a pretty basic knowledge um, of, and I guess when I say pretty basic, I mean, not like totally dumb, but also mm-hmm. not in any way advanced knowledge of herbal medicine. And and some of that goes way back and has just stuck in my brain. Some of it, I would really need a refresher. I've thought about taking a class or like going through some kind of um, even like a book where I read mm-hmm. about it really closely. So like that would be part of, you know, my whole like next 10 year transition into whatever my crony life is going to look like. I love it. Um, There's that store I texted you or we were chatting off the podcast about that. I discovered here that I can't wait to take you to. And they have a whole section on, and I think they do classes and stuff. So the whole store has all kinds of sustainable living, gardening, um, outdoor life. It's, it's a quite, um, I said, it's like Rose apothecary from Schitt's Creek, only the like California hippie surfer version of that. Um, but I did notice there's a, there's a tincture section, so I can't wait to I love it there. And maybe at one point I'll have a white streak in my hair. Ah, uh, yes. But I actually think it's just going to all get gray at the same time and not probably be cool like that, but you know, I, I, love I can, it. I can hope, right? I love it. <laughs> oh, well, my last one in this category is really, we could do soon again, and that is more kitten fostering. So I don't know. Listeners might remember we fostered a litter of three kittens in the fall. And in addition to getting ringworm, which was annoying, but I, I think I could know how to how to avoid that. It was a little bit of a fluke, but um, it was a great experience. And we've had some reasons for not doing it. We have to get a new roof and we keep not knowing when it's going to be. And I don't want to have kittens and construction happening at the same time and blah, blah, blah. But I think um, regular kitten fostering will be a great regular hobby for the whole family. And I'm ready to get back on board. And I do consider that a hobby. It takes um, time and attention and a little bit of money. And um, it's something to include the kids in. And it it mm. also, even though the kids love it, it's truly for me. Like I really yeah. love the kittens. So um, I see that as coming back relatively soon. So let me ask you this. Do you ever see yourself becoming someone who like specializes in a certain kind of kitten or cat or like, I don't know, are, because I, again, just like with you know, running and kitchens and yoga, I do feel like getting really into a particular breed of animal is a very 40 plus woman thing to do. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. <laughs> I hadn't thought that far ahead. I feel like that would be the kind of thing that would happen almost by accident. Like, yeah. oh, turns out like we're really good with, you know, the newborns or the kittens who are blind or whatever. Right. <laughs> like special yeah. needs. Um, but the, yeah, that's funny. Okay, so we are at the point where we're purely waving witchy woman magic wands um, <laughs> and just talking about a couple of Over my that, bubbling cauldron yeah. of herbs mm-hmm. that, I, okay, yes. Okay, yeah, I'm, so these I'm, hobbies, I'm visualizing it right now. 
these hobbies need bear no an attachment to the real world. Like they could be anything, anywhere, someday, maybe ish. So I would love to hear a couple from you. Sure. Okay. So um, again, I, I, I mentioned at the very beginning that I think I will be somebody who will always have some kind of business interest because I just feel like that is a hobby for me. So I've never owned a brick and mortar business, like a shop or a cafe. Like I've, and I've always kind of wanted to, but I've never wanted to, if I had to make money at it, like, yeah, um, it's very hard to make. Yeah, money. it is hard. And it, and it's just not why I would want to do it. Like being surrounded by physical objects is something I do love. And I like, I, I, when I've worked in retail and when I've worked in food service and those kinds of person to person environments, I've really liked the customer service. And just like, I really like that aspect of that kind of work but I don't want to do that and have to like worry about the bottom line of my shop. So it would have to be something like I've long had this dream. I mean, I went since I was like in my early twenties where I would have a shop where I could basically like not even worry if anyone ever came in the door because I'd be, it's like a dusty shop where I'm in the back <laughs> working on something else. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, um, in a movie where you go into the shop yes. and there's this guy in this back room and he doesn't even really want you there because yeah. he's like looking at his books or whatever. So yep. that's the kind of shop I would want to have. And I, I have l recently started really zeroing in on tea because uh -huh. I love tea and there aren't a lot of really good tea shops where you can go sample blends and like, it would kind of combine so many of my loves, like, like the witchy woman, apothecary, like, yep. you know, gathering in the blends and, and then, and also then the merchandising, which I really do love making things cute. And then I could also incorporate like vintage linens, which I love and vintage yes. cups and serving plates and, um, yeah, and teacups and, and silverware, all those things. Like, I feel like I could bring it all together into one place. And I honestly don't care if anyone ever comes in the door. I, I really it. just want the excuse to make the shop and then I can go in the back and write and podcast. So <laughs> that's one of them. Um, I love it. that feels very much like a hobby. As long as I cover my rent, I will be happy. Mm -hmm. And then the other is just, I already kind of talked about you know, the being nomadic and traveling. And I also have noticed the last few times I've been out hiking, there's always like an older crew of older, legit backpackers who are mm -hmm. like, they're doing the North country trail or like they're doing like a long through hike where they're going to be pitching a tent in the woods and I'm, and they're 70. And mm -hmm. I just think that's amazing. And I want to be able to, I, I want to be able to do that sooner, but I think it'd be so cool to be doing that continuously for the next several decades. So mm -hmm. Um, I don't see myself doing like a week long hike backpacking tour anytime soon, but like I would definitely build toward that. And then when I have more leisure time to just get lost in the woods, get lost in the woods. I love it. I love it so much. How about you? Mine are so different, of course. Um, but the first one is volunteering, which doesn't sound like a fantasy, but because I have not done a lot of volunteer work, except for small things through the kids school. Um, it feels like this will be a like later stage of life for me. And the, mm. the very specific way that I would love to like have volunteering be a, like a big part of my later life is using the skills that I have and, and the other hobbies that I've developed over time and then just giving my time to nonprofits and organizations that need that kind of mm. work. Mm -hmm. So it's not particularly... I don't know, romantic type of volunteering, but maybe again, as an Enneagram one, I love to see things improved. I love to see problems solved. And when you look at, 
nonprofits and, you know, scrappy little charitable organizations that are doing their best, they often really need skills that I have, like communications help, messaging, um, yeah. like video, audio production. Like, um, so I do think sometimes of like, wow, I could, I could do a lot that would make a big difference for organizations that have, you know, a cause that I believe in. So I think that is something that probably will become a part of my like hobby slash, you know, the way I spend my time later on. Um, and it's fun to think about the skills I'm developing in my work life and in my professional life. And then just, just truly giving of my time in a pretty significant, in a pretty significant way, not like an hour a month here or there, but maybe to even taking on a part-time pro bono position, um, or getting really passionate about one particular organization and then feeling good that these skills that I have can be used. So. Well, a lot of times those executive director roles at, at nonprofits and arts organizations and things, those are people who are beyond their first career. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like they're, they're, the money is not the point or sometimes it's volunteer. It's completely volunteer. Yeah. And when we're living in our golden girls house together, yes, I can be standing at the, you know, the stove with my cauldron yeah, brewing up a, some kind of tincture. And you could be like, tapping away on your computer in the other room. Wouldn't that be I fun? I love it. You can make me some witchy, <laughs> witchy tea. Um, in, yes. in line with the, with the volunteering, I really do love to teach. And I put teach in quotes yeah. because I'm not a classroom teacher, um, but I really enjoy Like when we speak at conferences and I, I really, in, I get very energized when I have information that can help somebody else. In fact, I get over eager sometimes. Um, so I could also see that volunteering looking like um, teaching in some capacity, teaching adults, teaching a class on, something that I know how to teach. So not in the traditional like K-12 or even college education sense, but some kind of teaching as part of that volunteering too. Um, yeah. And then the other one I wrote down is singing. And I I sort of fantasize about a choral group or a choir. That's the that's the bulk of my singing experience or even like a regular. Is there such thing as like a regular karaoke group or a regular like campfire singing group? Like I don't really need to perform and I don't need to solo. I just love to sing and I really love to sing in a group and it's different than like musical theater for you. So I don't know what that would look like, but I could definitely see um, a regular and I don't currently go to a church. So it would have to be some kind of choral group or even just like a group for whom singing is the main object and not necessarily. I think those are definitely all things like, yes, I think there are groups of people who just get together to sing I used to have a group of people informally that got together to do karaoke all the time. And it was always the same group. So yes, Mm -hmm. I think you could have all of those things. I would like all of them in my, in my fantasy hobby life. And I don't know, you know more about I than I do about how voice, um, how vocal performance changes as you get older, but I know older voices are different. My mother, one of my two mothers-in-law is an amazing alto in her church choir um, and she's 67, I think. And um, ha- I mean, has a beautiful voice, but I also know that voices change as you get older. So that's kind of interesting too. like the type of the type of like, what do 65 year old women do in choir? I don't know. It's like a different stage of life than the choirs I sang in. I think it depends a lot on the lady. <laughs> so okay. you know what I mean? Because like they I think if you're like in the opera, you really don't peak until your late thirties or early Mm forties, but that doesn't mean we all sound amazing in our forties, you know? And then after that, like, you know, your voices get, your voice gets deeper and often more Mm -hmm. throaty or or like, remember like if you've ever been in a church, there's always like the church singing lady that is a little warbly and I'm just (laughs) going to leave it there. 
Um, I'm hoping that's not like she sounds like she can't hear herself sing mm-hmm. and is really just belting at all times in a really high pitched voice. And I think all churches have that lady. So it'll be interesting to see where we fall. I hope someone tells me if I turn into that lady. <laughs> but maybe they won't. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, this was super fun. I'm glad that we did this. But I would love to remind everybody to take our listener survey, which is at themomhour.com slash survey. We are leaving it up until April 30th, and then it will go away till we do our next one in a year or two. Um, but thanks to everybody who has last done that. Chance. Last chance. Um, this is your last chance. April 30th. It'll go away. And we will be back with you on Tuesday uh, with another all new episode. So, Megan, this was fun. This was fun. Talk to you then. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction, and Erica helps them build healthy habits in self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%.